we'll be looking into Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 has a rather solemn message when you read the whole chapter. It's speaking of those who did not enter into God's rest under the old covenant because faith was not mixed with the word of God. And then there are solemn passages that are drawn from, and particularly from David, from the Psalms, and uh, the warning that we're to give heed, of course, to what we hear. Let's see if I can find a passage here. In like beginning, for instance, in verse 7 again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts. So that we're taught in Hebrews, consistently throughout Hebrews, about persevering faith. We learn in Scripture, of course, that when God begins his work in one, he performs that work until the day of Jesus Christ. All who are begotten of God are overcomers. We're learning that, of course, in 1 John. And we have then in Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 through 16 that which gives us great comfort, strength, hope, and directs our hearts to the way that we are able or enabled to overcome. And that, of course, is a very important passage of Scripture here. When uh, I was a young man, intensely memorizing Scripture, this was one of the first passages that I memorized. I would find passages of Scripture that particularly give me direct, gave me direction in the way I should go and would help me in the trials faced and the difficulties that would come. And this was certainly one of the prime ones. In Hebrews chapter 4 and in verses 14 through 16, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee that it is the light that is to be put before us, the lamp to our feet, to show us the way in which we are to walk. And we are quite well aware, Father, that that way is Thy way, and it's the highway of holiness. And only as by thy grace we truly know the wonders of redeeming love and have come to thee not because of our works or our worth, but only by the cross of our blessed Savior. We thank thee also that thou dost grant and give thy Holy Spirit to all who are effectually called by thy wondrous gospel and we're made to realize the blessedness of complete forgiveness for sin and the gloriousness of reconciliation to thee. 
And we come to desire more and more to know the glories and the beauties of our Savior. And our Father, that our hearts would be drawn only to him. And for that we ask thy direction this evening, thy mercy, the work of thy Spirit, that thou wouldest prosper the ministry of thy holy word. And we're thankful to thee that we learn it is effectual in those who believe. We thank thee in the blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Something was sent to me today. I, I want to read it. It's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Kind of a warning I'm going to have to give. It's not exactly politically correct, but it is very good. There is not a place beneath which a believer walks that is free from snares. Behind every tree there is an Indian with his barbed arrow. Behind every bush there is the lion seeking to devour. Under every piece of grass there lieth the adder. Everywhere we are in danger and need the protection of the Most High. And I think that fits very well. This passage of Scripture, we do walk in a dangerous world. It is a spiritually dangerous place. We face it every day. Sometimes dangers we're not even aware of. And yet our Lord is aware of them. He knows the way I take, said the psalmist. And so, when we look into this passage, we learn not to despair because the path is long. The journey may be a long one. And uh, it may be strewn with many difficulties in the way. Trials, things that come, various trials. Peter wrote uh, about that, of course. And when he says, when you greatly rejoice, of course, in salvation and the promise and the hope that God gives us in Christ, and uh, even though now you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, various types of trials, different kinds of trials, but we are to rejoice when we comprehend that with God is nothing impossible. That's something we must lay hold of by faith. That's something our Lord has taught us to believe, to trust. God is in control, and with him is nothing impossible. And the reality is that the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect God as well as perfect man. And it's he who must bring us home to the inheritance that belongs to us in heaven. It's his grace, his grace only, that is the reason why all who shall never fall will rather attain the glory that's purposed. That's in God's hands. And so, when we look into the scriptures and we find these things, they become so precious to us, we realize that it's only through our Lord that we shall attain what God has purposed. And in verse 14, seeing then, that we have a great high priest who is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us hold fast our profession. You see, because we have, as the title of this message is, we have the unfailing helper. We have the one who never fails. We have the one who never makes mistakes. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. There are times when we feel keenly that we've failed in many ways, but he never fails. We have a great high priest. That's very important when we read that, seeing that we have a great high priest. He's our high priest. He's the high priest of all for whom he shed his blood and called by his spirit and made known the wonders of his love and redemption from sin through his cross. We have this great high priest or else we would fall without him. All else would fail. All diligence to entering God's eternal rest would fall short. And sin would completely overwhelm us if we did not have this great high priest. And so how incredibly important this passage of Scripture. And though, of course, in Hebrews, the office of this great high priest is expounded for us thoroughly. Particularly here, we have, of course, the aspect of the Lord's help for those of whom he is the great high priest. We have the teaching of his enablement all the way to eternal inheritance, all the journey through to the heavenly Canaan. These verses are, of course, vitally connected with the second chapter of Hebrews. And in verses 17 and 18, Wherefore in all things it, be, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for that in he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able also to succor them that are tempted. He has the ability to be our helper. He has the ability to keep us. He has the ability to guide us. He has the ability to bring us all the way to where he is. Indeed, we find in this epistle the necessity of continuing faith, persevering faith. We're taught several times over to hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. The one that we were brought to trust to begin with, we are to continue to trust, to look to day by day. He who has taught us that if we would follow him, then we must take a cross day by day and be dead, the old person, to belong to him and to follow him. We have this throughout this epistle taught or implied to us. In Hebrews chapter 6, for instance, in verses 11 and 12, we desire 
that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That teaches us that something must be worked in us in a matter of discipline and diligence. We live in an undisciplined day. But we must develop a spiritual discipline, and we're taught to do so in Scripture. That you be not slothful. That's a difficult situation to be in. One can get in a habit of sloth. We're people of habits. And if we do not develop a disciplined habit of faithfulness to God and his truth, we want to take the easy route. And that will always be spiritually damaging. We are to develop the spiritual discipline. That you be not slothful, but follows, followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith, we know about. Faith in our Lord, trusting him looking to him, learning of him, increasing in the knowledge of him. Patience, the ability to overcome in difficulty, in hard things that take place. This persevering faith that we're taught of is particularly continuance and dependence upon the Lord himself. He only is the one who can bring us to glory, as we learn in Hebrews chapter 2 and in uh, verse 10. For it became him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, he is the sovereign creator of everything, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the, cap uh, the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. He is our leader, our captor, our, our captain, our prince. He is our king. He is our sovereign. He is the one who undertakes to bring all that the Father gave him to redeem all the way to glory. Thus our verses in great encouragement, encouragement to the children of faith, show us that is not a matter of our own strength, not a matter of trusting ourselves. We are to have no confidence in the flesh, as we're taught in Scripture. But it's the help of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, that enables us to continue. We are to abide in him. Just like John, in his first epistle, writes in 1 John 2, 28, Now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we shall be, of course, he goes on to say, like him. So, we have, of course, here incredibly important instruction as to the way we overcome and we reach the inheritance that God has for those whom the Lord Jesus Christ redeems. Seeing then that we have a great high priest it's not his priesthood that makes him great. It's he who makes the priesthood great. It is he, his person, who makes the priesthood great. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. We have the Son of God. We have he by whom God brought all things into existence. We have he 
who is the second person of the triune Godhead. We have he who never fails, who carries out the purpose of the Father to perfection and shall not lose a single one the Father gave him to redeem. He makes the priesthood great. He is Jesus, the Son of God, which is the reason his priesthood is far, far greater his new covenant eternal priesthood far, far greater than the old covenant priesthood of Aaron. Yet too, as we shall see, the character of the priesthood excels all earthly priesthood. It excels all earthly priesthood as far as heaven is above the earth. So far greater, more glorious. Earthly priests, they died. He lives. He ever lives to make intercession for us. This great high priest is with the Father. And he is with the Father on our behalf who know him, who believe him, who trust him, who love him, who loved us and gave himself for us. He is at the Father's right hand sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, as in Hebrews chapter 1. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, that is also translatable passed through the heavens. He's higher than the heavens. The earthly priest could only enter into the holiest place in the tabernacle or temple once a year, once a year, only on the Day of Atonement. Christ, the Son of the living God, has entered the heaven of heavens. He's entered where no angel dare tread, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom glory be forever and ever. It's taken from 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse, and verse 16. He's higher than the created heavens. We read in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 that Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands which are the figures of the true. The tabernacle, the temple, all their sacrifices, the priesthood, it was but a shadow of things to come. It was not permanent. It will not ever be again. Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself. Now, to appear in the presence of God for us, we have a priest, a high priest, an intercessor. We have a mediator. We have an advocate with the Father. He's there on behalf of all for whom he effectually shed his blood, who are redeemed and have been brought to him to look to and trust him. Good to know, isn't it? Salvation is in his hands from start to finish. He is Savior, this great high priest. He is holy, separate from sinners, 
made higher than the heavens, as we're taught in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. The great and the encouraging truth which is blessed to our embrace if we would receive it indeed is that though he has changed his place, he no longer walks the dusty roads of Galilee. He no longer takes a boat across the huge lake. He no longer teaches bodily in the temple at Jerusalem or the synagogues there. He no longer physically touches sick and broken bodies and heals them in that way. He has changed into where he is now. He has changed his place. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. But what is so wondrous is that though he changed his place, he is not changed. His character is the same. We can trust him exactly as we learn of him in the Gospels. We can trust him as he is made known, so is he. Which is glorious to consider and know. He is, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. His character is no different though his place now is exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high with all power in heaven and in earth. And it is only by looking to him, trusting him only, believing him, trusting him, laying hold of his word, seeking his direction to walk the path that he puts before us. That we derive all that's needed to hold fast. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. And let's do so even without wavering. This faith is to be nurtured in our hearts, even in this world that's so distracting, even in this flesh that wants the joys that it can find in this world, and too much its pleasures and its ease. That's where the discipline's important. For the believer to hold firm that confession that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved for with the heart man believeth unto salvation under how's it go under righteousness confession is made unto salvation Though there are many trials to be overcome, and the holding firm this profession and confession of faith, 
there's nothing too big for the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing too big for him. So that we have that passage in the 13th chapter of Hebrews that says, let your conversation, the way you live in this world, be without covetousness. Don't be grasping of the things of this world. Don't make this your place of joy and living and, and your existence completely here. We're to have our desire on things that are eternal. We're to have our affection on things the natural man cannot possibly comprehend. We're to behold by faith him who is our Lord. And we're to look to him and trust him and realize he wants us with him and wants us to be with him forever. And we're to find our joys in him and to let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Why? For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He is the portion of our inheritance. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me he is my helper therefore I shall overcome he is my helper therefore sin shall not have its dominion over me he is my helper therefore the path that I trod is in his hands and shown to me by him, by his spirit, through his word. It is he who will not allow temptation and trial to overcome us. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Sometimes that way to escape is to bring us to realize that we cannot look to ourselves or trust in ourselves or change our own way, but to look to him. He is our escape. He makes that escape. He's the one to whom we are taught to cast our care upon, to cast our burden upon. And he shall sustain us. He doesn't allow those trials that come to overcome and overwhelm us to the point where we will turn from this course, this journey on the way to our heavenly inheritance. We have that which sustains and which infuses into our hearts great courage in the way. He's already where we're going to go. He has already entered where we shall follow. He has already conquered the world. He has already overcome. He is there. He has gone before us. He's the one who prepares the way for us. He has entered where we shall go. And shall be. He is gone as our great high priest. He is gone as our sovereign. He is gone to prepare a place for us. He is gone and will not lose us. And has given us infallible promise of arriving where he is. In Hebrews chapter 6. 
in verses 19 and 20, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. It stabilizes us. It sustains us. It infuses courage into us, which we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth in that within the veil, that which cannot be seen by human eyes, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, that is, an eternal high priest, king and priest. We have never-ending access to all the grace, all the help that's needed, all the way, all the way, until we come into the wondrous reality of a glorious heavenly inheritance that's promised to all the saints in the scripture. We have the unfailing and available help all the way to glory, all the time accessible. It's a wondrous passage. So that we read in verses 15 and 16 of Hebrews 4. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are four words that if we truly believe them, if we truly lay hold of them, there are four words that will strengthen, that will calm us in the midst of difficulties, that will help us in the severest of trials that we may face. He careth for you. He careth for you. So we first need to consider how he can be our helper. In this special way of being fully acquainted with our temptations, knowing everything we face without any exception, fully comprehending every temptation we face. We are tempted at times we don't even realize it. But he knows. Every temptation. And he was and is perfectly without sin. The sinless one. And knows every thing we face every temptation every trial everything in our way that would attempt in a dangerous way to lead us away from the right way from him and his way none of our trials are unknown to him none of them these trials are not unknown to him not in their nature not in their intensity. He knows all of them. Matter of fact, we're appointed to them. And we're appointed to them out of the greatest of wisdom, infinite wisdom. 
the wisdom of God. We're pointed to them out of the greatest of love. A love that is moving toward our highest good to bring us one day to be conformed to the character of this glorious Lord. This you'll have to listen to carefully. It is for the very reason that he is sinless, perfectly sinless, that he knows far more about our temptations than we do. Because he acutely perceived and repelled them. Again, in chapter 2 and verse 18 of Hebrews, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. That's something. The temptation caused him to suffer. He never sinned. I'm afraid sometimes we can be tempted in temptation we're not even aware of. But he is infinitely holy, and you're going to have to listen carefully. He was tempted in the full range of temptations, but never tempted to sin. You see, temptation to sin comes from within. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. He didn't have any desire to sin. He had no sin in him. And so, very importantly, I quote from John Owen, Whatever is the moral evil in temptation is due to the depraved intention of the tempter or from the weakness and sin of the tempted. In itself, it is but a trial which may have a good or a bad effect. Men are tempted to sin by sin, to actual sin by habitual sin, by indwelling sin. He, Christ, neither was tempted by sin, such was the holiness of his nature, nor did his temptation produce sin, such was the perfection of his obedience. It had been said that the holiness of his nature repelled sin as instantaneously as a drop of water in fire. You couldn't get a drop of water near the sun. It would be easier to do that for, than Christ, to be tempted to sin. And again, he became the more acquainted with temptation because he felt it in full, because he was holy. The least thing, the least sin he would have felt, how horror and horrific it was because he was infinitely holy. 
because of the holiness of his nature. We must too remember that temptation to come or, or to give up also comes by hard trial. And the feeling of utter helplessness to overcome the difficulty. He never had that. We faced nothing what he faced. We have not faced the kind of hatred he faced, though we are hated because of him by the world. We've never faced the kind of suffering he would over or undertake at the cross. None of it moved him. His face was set like a flint. He overcame every hardship. He never flinched from the course that was set before him. He could cry out in view of the coming cross. Now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, he would say, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. He never had a thought of turning back. Though you have never, nor I have ever, in all of our suffering combined throughout life, cannot touch his sufferings and what he went through. When it was time to come, the scripture says in Luke 9.51, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That meant to the cross. So it is that through his gracious help, in which he possesses both compassion and power, we may derive all we need to continue, to overcome, to persevere through his strength, his grace, his enablement, trusting him, looking to him alone. Like David, my soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my deliverer. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Every weakness we have, he's fully aware of it. Every weakness, without any exception, he knows it thoroughly. And by the way, this is not simply a collective care for all of the redeemed. It's not simply a general concern. It has a particular and a personal application. He knows his own sheep. He knows every one of them thoroughly. I know my sheep and am known of mine. The sheep are in his care. He is the sovereign shepherd of his own sheep. And it's personal. 
It's personal. I think I mentioned some time back, often in prayer, I marvel, Lord, to know the sweetness of thy glorious presence, to know that thou art with me, to, to have communion with thee personally is amazing to me. When I think of all that he has created, all that he sustains, all he upholds, all he's ruling over, and yet he cares individually for every one of us who know him, isn't that amazing? It's an amazing thing. And so one wrote, in sympathy, he adapts himself to each as if he had not merely taken on him man's nature in general, but also the peculiar nature of that single individual. So that as Peter wrote, Casting all your care, your care, personally. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Yeah, you're going to go through some hard things. You've got a lot of sin in yourself, and i got a lot of sin in this flesh. And we are prone to wonder. And we do need his gracious, loving chastisements. We do need the things that come that we face. He has ordered them. He has ordained them. We're wise if by faith we submit to him in them and trust him that his purpose is perfect for us no matter what we're facing. That will bring peace in the midst of the most difficult situations. He's not only our example. He's the one we must completely trust to give compassionate and enduring help to us all the way until we're in his presence. Until either we leave the body to be with him or he comes for us. He teaches us here to come consistently, continually. Let us, therefore, come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's quite a verse. Let us therefore come boldly. That word signifies we can come fearlessly. We can come confidently to him. We can come honestly to him. He knows what we think. He knows what we desire. He knows what we feel. He knows the temptation sometimes that we have to give up. and brings us rather to give over to him our situation to look to and trust him we can come openly we can come honestly we can come boldly unto the throne of grace God teaches us this he gives us this in his word that we may do so 
We may draw near to him in prayer with confidence or freedom of speech. That could also be drawn from this boldness. We may come freely before him. We can pour out our complaints. We can bring our fears. We can confess our sins. We can confess our wandering thoughts. Our tendencies to allow too much of this world. We're to come to him as we are. with what causes us pain, with the difficulties we're facing. And we can seek him and trust him to help us. Over and over, he teaches us these things, reiterates it because we're slow to learn sometimes. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. More intense each time. Our Father has a throne of grace for his children. A throne of grace. There are figures taken in Hebrews of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or the temple. God, of course, dwelled symbolically in the Shekinah glory cloud, the presence, in the tabernacle and temple, above the mercy seat, between the cherubim. The mercy seat is where the blood was sprinkled. Christ is our mercy seat. He's our sacrifice. It's through him we come to the Father. Not because we're worthy ever. Not because we can ever bring merit before him. Never. We come to him because of Jesus Christ and him crucified. We continue to come to him only through the Lord Jesus Christ. To the throne of grace. knowing that we have a sympathetic high priest and he sat down on the throne. And we may by his blood draw near without hesitancy, drawing near. Not with fear, not afraid of being harshly judged for our felt sins or needs, but with the confidence of being fully accepted and helped. We're helped in him. Oh, there are many times I don't feel like coming. I have to come and say, Lord, I'm totally unworthy, like Jacob of old, of the least of thy mercies or of thy truth. I weep sometimes bitter tears when I think of the sinfulness that has been in my past. The tears beginning from childhood 
he loved me in spite of this. He gave himself for me. That he called me. That he brought me. That I was drawn with bands of love. That he put away all my transgressions. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in hope, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. We come for mercy and grace, and we may come boldly, openly, fearlessly, because of the blood of Christ. We can understand this mercy and grace in two ways. Mercy refers to the forgiveness of sins, while grace respects the giving of strength to continue, no matter how difficult the course is before us the strength to continue. And there's another. Mercy is to be taken as it is extended to man in his weakness. Grace is to be sought by man according to his necessity. To obtain mercy. Grace to help in time of need. God saves us by a sovereign mercy. He gave us his son. He gave him to us. That's why we read in scripture the Lord Jesus Christ saying the Father sent him. And we find it even more precious when we read the Father gave him. He's yours. He's yours. He's the most glorious, incredible, lovely person there is. His beauties are beyond comprehension. His character perfect, no flaw. His love glorious beyond anything in this world. And you and I who are saved by God's grace belong to him. He was given to us. We were given to him. Isn't that wondrous? <laughs> we can seek this mercy and this grace as often as needed. You know how often I need it? Every day. Every day. Every hour. 
It's always there. It's always there for us. Every difficulty that arises, every weakness we feel, every battle we have, and only those who are in Christ have a constant battle to overcome sin and the world and its ways and its charms. Every battle, every trial, every pain, every fear, whenever it comes, whatever degree, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Don't we love the promises of God? Don't we love that Isaiah 41.10 brook? Isn't that a glorious promise? We have God's truth. We have his word. We cannot fail. We have his strength. How blessed and how glorious. This teaches us that God our Savior stands always ready to help us. to guide us in the right way, in the path of the just, moving toward a glorious eternal inheritance. His help comes as we need it. And I know, I, I think I know about you, I don't really, but... <laughs> I need it all the time. I need it every day. Every hour. Isn't this a blessed passage of scripture? Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. May God bless the ministry and the teaching of his holy word. We got some good news from St. Louis concerning uh, Tom and Jeannie Henry's grandsons. Um, what is that they suffer with? And and it's a, a, it's something that cannot be reversed just medically. As far only the Lord could do that, we know. But they prayed for a long time that there would be medicine that uh, would help prevent, prevent any further progression of it, and that has been developed. And so they're thanking the Lord and praising him, and we can praise him for that as well. But we can pray for, for uh, like for Jonathan, uh, aren't they working on an artificial something? A little bit louder. Artificial pancreas? Artif yeah, aren't they, aren't they working toward that? Yeah. Well, we could pray for that. Lord answered their prayers. We could we could certainly pray for that. 
glad Carol got a good report. Of course, they stand constantly in need of our prayers. And uh, we're thankful that when they're able to come and be with us, and, uh, and Bob has his chair back now there, and, and he can hear just well, uh, just as well there. Uh, of course, it's so far distant from here to there, you know, but it's, uh, it's uh, evidently no problem for him. And I think it'd be a big help. Do we have other special prayer requests? You'll have your own, maybe, and those at home. So we'll stop the live stream, and uh, so those at home can do the praying, and, and we'll pray here. <laughs> 